0: you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material.
1: Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> <laughs> JB, you start sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. I hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. (laughs) He asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I like where you're going with this. Um, For some reason... The word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said "come and
2: strap-on at the same time. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks.
1: I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> this is The Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. <laughs> and now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Well, that was pretty terrible, but we tried. Welcome to my part.
0: Whoa, whoa. I thought it was really nice. I enjoyed it. it? Yeah. Thank you, JB.
1: Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, December 14th. Mid-December already, 2019, here at dnrstudios.com. The only place you can hear in the the is Bond, If you listen elsewhere, leave us your ratings and reviews on any audio platform that you use to listen. Email me, me, at adam at adamsank.com. Like the motherfucking Facebook page already. We only have about 3,600 likes. We should have, like, tens of thousands, I think. So please, go to Facebook, look up Adam Sank Show, and like it. And for God's sake, download my two comedy albums, I have two comedy albums. I don't know if you know that.
3: And Wait, you, you did
1: comedy? Yes. And the holidays are a time when people are off, they're traveling, they have a lot of time to listen to things. So now is the time to listen to those albums. The first one's called Live from the Stonewall Inn. The second one's called uh, Adam Sank's Last Comedy Album. You can also catch up on all 158 episodes of this fucking podcast. They're all available on iTunes and every other audio platform. Uh, let's see if you're going to be in New York city tonight or tomorrow night and you want to hear more of that beautiful, perfectly in tune singing, yeah, then come see Ryan and me perform with the New York city gay men's chorus. I'll be dancing. Ryan is also on the, the dance dancers. team. He sings, he dances. Do it he all, honey. Sucks dick. It all yes. happens at the Skirball Center for Performing <laughs> Arts. Uh, go to nycgmc.org. Dot org, baby for tickets. Our uh, guest today is Greg Heron, the author of a new book called Royal Street Revillon. a uh, It's spelled R E V E I L L O N. It's a French word. It means some kind of fancy dinner that one has before the holidays. Mm. Um Greg is a is a prolific author. He he has come up with like dozens of these Scotty Bradley mysteries. Uh, Scotty Bradley is a is a hot gay private detective. Uh, who solves murders in his hometown of New Orleans. So we'll be talking to Greg from New Orleans a little later. But first, everyone's favorite piglet, whose voice you heard just now, it's Ryan Winona Frostig, (laughs) joining us now.
0: (laughs) It's Winona here.
1: Ryan is revealing that Winona is
3: his middle name. We never knew that before. Yeah. Winona is who I really am. Winona is (laughs) is my true self. Your drag name is Winona, Winona Drugs.
0: <laughs> that's going to be my next cat's name. What? That's going to be my next cat's name.
1: Winona. Winona Drugs. Oh my god, that is so good. Winona Drugs is a pretty good drag yeah. name. Hello, Hi. JB. Hello, Ryan. Hi, everyone. It's ah. so good to be back. Al- As I said, it's almost the end of 2019. Can you believe? I can believe. Can you? It's not a great It hasn't been a great year for the country.
3: Yes. But that's it's been a true. good
1: year for me personally, although it's I'm still insane. single. Well, still a spinster.
3: You know what? In the new year.
1: That's what I said 2020? about 2019. Well, you know. This is it. This is 20, 2020 will be the last year that I'm not in my 50s or older. Oh,
3: my goodness. This is my
1: last year of my 40s. So it's got to happen.
3: Yeah, and this is the last year of my 20s.
1: You motherfucker. Oh, God. You piece of shit. Well, speaking Why? of... Can't,
3: you know, help, can't help.
1: Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Same age. Speaking of shit. It's
3: not my fault I'm so young and pretty. Mm.
1: (laughs) Okay. Speaking of shit, would either of you ever want to spend a night in a hotel shaped like an anus? Uh,
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, now that I've seen the picture, uh, I, I, I'd have to say no because it.
1: Yeah, Ryan no. and JB are looking right now at a picture of the Hotel Casanus, C A S A N U S. It looks in like a, a turd. In a- <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a big, like a big poop. It's in Antwerp, Belgium. Um, as Ryan points out, it does not look like an ass. It looks like the inner, the inside it looks of your like ass. If
0: you had beets last night, and uh, you went to the toilet. <laughs> the Next
1: well, day, the grossest part of these kind of like. Lips like the the hole is on the side. It's um, it's red, veiny, tubular, furnished with a double bed, a kitchen table, lots of windows, and of course, working plumbing. Here's a side picture of it, so you can see the window.
0: Why, why, who did this?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked, JB. It was the brainchild (laughs) of Dutch designer Joop van Leeschout, of
0: course, the Dutch,
1: and it's part of the Verbecki Foundation Art Park. Um, it's located in rolling hills with ample trees. And uh, it, it, this is basically a piece of art, but you can stay there. A Day in the Derriere runs guests from uh, 100, about $140, which is pretty cheap. It does cover breakfast. $40? <laughs> $140. Oh, 140 And admission to the Parks Museum. Reviews uh, are pretty good. W- one person gave it three out of five stars. Um, Wait, this, three this out of five anuses. What? What's that? that t- to the
0: anus? Is a museum of anuses? Like, what?
1: Well, no, it's an art piece. It's like an art installation, but it's one you can actually stay in. Wow. Like most of these stories, the, the internet comments to me were funnier and miracle, more interesting sorry. than the story itself. So here's some of the um, comments. Here's some of the best comments. If you don't pay your bill, they'll squeeze you right out. Oh <laughs> this takes on a This takes a whole new take on artsy-fartsy. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a real shithole. <laughs> Oh, wow. For your most anal retentive guest. (laughs) This whole story smells funny. (laughs) Sorry, I stopped saying, I stopped staying in shit hotels years ago. (laughs) If you give a shout out to this hotel, is it considered a butt plug?
3: (laughs) That one's my favorite.
1: Uh, Let's see. There's so many. I don't think I'll be colon to make a reservation. Oh, boo. Wow! Bat looks putt. like a real shithole
0: <laughs> <Bat putt>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't oh, no. don't eat the food because it tastes like crap <laughs>
3: anyway well so done. that internet well yeah, done so
1: that's what's happening at the at the hotel casanus living it up at the hotel casanus not to be outdone such a poopy place <laughs> <laughs> Such highbrow comedy here on The Adam Sank Show. (laughs) Oh, my God. Not to be outdone, there is now a Vagina Museum in London. Oh, Oh, wow. The Vagina Museum is the world's first institution dedicated to gynecological autonomy and it's more of a public health project than a, than a um, an art piece
0: would they also hold they also host the vagina monologues
1: i mean i think it would be a no brainer yeah. to have the vagina monologues to at least vaginas- have their premiere party there yeah now their their inaugural exhibit was called muff busters <laughs> muff busters vagina Coming soon to theaters vagina yes, vagina myths and how to fight them who are you going to call Muff, bust Buster. Stick it in your pussy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the museum is the first of its kind.
0: Will you feel that itch? Oh, no, I'm sorry.
1: It's an answer to Iceland's <laughs> phallological museum, which has nearly 300 penises and penile parts. Um, let's see. I've also had 300 penises and penile parts. I know you have. Those expecting to see ancient fertility uh, sculptures, medieval chastity belts, or Victorian area vibrators should know that the young crowd-funded venture includes none of those things. Instead, at the Vagina Museum... I feel like I should be (laughs) doing a commercial. At the Vagina Museum, visitors will discover informational posters and sculptures, a small shop with vaginally-themed products, and an events count... An events calendar that includes a dinner for Trans Day of Remembrance and meetings. literature meetings.
3: Cliterature. Oh, my God.
1: One visitor, wow. Ser- Seren Mehmet, a technical recruiter at Amazon, said it was much smaller than I anticipated, which was disappointing. I wanted to see more vaginas. <laughs> I know someone who went there and they said it's really hard to find your way around. Uh, <laughs> It has secured a two year lease in Camden Market, but after that, there are plans for expansion. The ultimate goal is to build a permanent museum. Well listen, if they can have this penis museum museum in Iceland and the hotel Casens in Belgium, then why not the vagina Museum in london
0: like I would like the vagina Museum in London to be inform to be informative for the straight guys who who think they 're pleasuring their women well like, that 's hey, exactly here's, right here 's the spot here 's where you 're supposed to this is where the bingo and the buzzer scores like. if it's that vaginas
1: are poorly understood
0: yeah power on fight on let me tell you something
1: (laughs) real quick
3: all right in 2020 i'm going to lose my gold star you're gonna fuck a woman in 2020 i'm gonna fuck someone with a vagina i don't know if they're gonna be a woman they may be a uh trans man but yes it's happening and uh, I, I'd like to go to this museum so
1: I could uh, learn why, some stuff. Why do you think this is going to happen in 2020, and why do you want it to?
3: I'm curious. I mean, I've, I've never, uh, I've never had interactions with. the uh, You think pussy? your penis is
1: going to be able to get hard and stay hard with a vagina? We'll, we'll see. I,
3: I definitely, think I that I, it. I definitely think that I could go down there, maybe. If it well, was... that's
1: easy. That's just your mouth.
3: Well, right, but I have that's. Do uh, you have a woman in mind for this experiment? You keep saying woman as if it's like going to be a woman. It could be... Or a trans man. Um, There is someone that I have uh, been uh, talking to over the... Over the past couple months. Oh. Oh, that's why. Does yeah. Boy Wolf know about
1: this? Um,
3: I don't he egged this on, didn't he? Yeah, now you know. He doesn't listen. So you'll right. have to
1: keep us Oof. updated. This w- uh, 2020 will be known as the Great Vagina Experiment. Yeah. yeah it's also when <laughs> and Ryan. And if it's
3: horrible, then I, I will have confirmed that I am a, a gay man that likes penis and not vagina and I can move forward with my life. But, I, you know, I need to know if this is because I'd like to, you know, be open to things in well, the new decade.
1: We should also mention that 2020 is the year that Ryan's new memoir is coming out. It's titled Planet, Don't Do It.
3: <laughs> this, this will probably fall on that list. By Ryan Winona like,
1: Frosting. And I'm not doing. Well, speaking of vaginas, camel toe underwear is now a fashion trend in Asia. Oh my goodness. Underwear with a fake camel toe built into it is apparently all the rage in countries like Japan. It's considered high fashion. Camel toe underwear—it's actually called that—is made to accentuate uh, the 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 JJ by sewing silicone, silicon, or thick fabric into normal underwear. Kind of like you know now they sell this—they sell men's underwear Mm -hmm. that makes your dick look bigger or your ass look bigger. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to understand why any woman (laughs) would want to look like this. Oh my god. It's, it's really disturbing. So disturbing. That's a big camel toe.
0: You, you know what? It's probably to water off guys that I think they're hot and and, and hot and stuff be like, "Oh, she got camel toe. That moves no clothes I
1: don't strong. think so. I think they want to emphasize their vagina and be more sexy to men.
0: Yeah,
3: I think that like, you know, for men it's always been like, "Oh yeah, big dicks." Like that's that's like what you want. And now women are catching on and they're like, "Big vaginas."
1: That's that's hot, and there must be men out there. I mean, because there's people who are into everything, Everything. so there must be men out there who are really turned on by like big, thick, big pussy lips. But I, I don't know. I feel like they'd be in the minority. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to wear this underwear just, you know, for a day and see what kind of reactions I get.
0: I also want to wear this underwear.
1: Can we add this to the wish list? <laughs> uh, please add the you know what? I started the Amazon wish list, but there's only like three things on it. I need you guys to to send uh, okay, me what you'd okay. like from we'll the list. We'll definitely put this on. And we're a little late now because this oh, is airing yeah. December fifteenth. Well. So once again we've procrastinated. Um, but, but yes.
0: Don't do it. I can, yes <laughs>
1: but give us send At least us we're consistent. Send us three pairs of camel toe underwear and we'll take a picture of our so I was wearing it. You know, I've thought about getting that that uh, underwear with the built-in bulge, the built-in dick, because as I've said before, I when I'm wearing tight pants, I look like I have a clitoris. Like there's no my dick is such a shower, excuse me, such a grower yeah. that it, when it's uh soft, there's nothing there. And I've always been jealous of those guys where you can see their whole dick and balls mm-hmm. right through their jeans. But my feeling is if I wore this and then some guy picked me up and we got naked, he'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah. I thought you had a big dig. Right. It's, to me, I'd rather they know what they're getting into. Right. And by know what they're getting into, I mean... Into you. My ass. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. There's something...
3: <laughs> I tried to hit it.
1: There's something happening with men in the ass. Never gets old. Well... In Detroit, in the D- Detroit area, by the way, it is pronounced Detroit, I learned when I went to Michigan for college. Really? The rest of the world says Detroit, but when you live there, you, you call it Detroit.
3: Like
1: Caucus. Like caucus, exactly. A Detroit Catholic priest was just sentenced to 45 days, not years, 45 days behind bars for initiating gay sex with a young man who went to him for counseling. The incident occurred. Hold on. The incident occurred in January 2013 at the St. Theodore of Canterbury Church in Westland, Michigan. 55-year-old Reverend Patrick Casey took advantage of a 24-year-old man who had come to him for assistance, reconciling his homosexuality with his faith. But instead of helping the guy, Casey decided to have sex with him right there in the confessional booth. Oh, dear. Can you imagine... You go to your priest and you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm tortured by these homosexual feelings and the priest just like takes his dick out.
0: It's if he's hot, hot the answer is yes.
1: I mean, it does seem kind of hot and I, I will point out that, uh, you know, it, it, it. listen, it's an abuse of power, right? Okay. You go to someone for help regarding your sexuality, whether it's a priest or a therapist or so, someone in a position of authority, you're not supposed to have sex with them. right? But – Thank God he was a 24-year-old and not a 14-year-old. And the fact that this priest has to go to jail for any amount of time and has been removed from the diocese is more than what happens to, to priests who fuck actual children.
3: Right. Agreed.
1: In a written statement, the man who's now in his 30s said he doesn't blame the priest entirely for what happened. He does believe he's at least partially responsible. I mean, it wasn't rape. He says, I'm not blaming all my problems on him. I was messed up before I ever met him. But he could have helped and he chose not to. He contributed to it instead. For the next several years, I drank heavily and constantly to cope with the pain and the rage that I felt. As I mentioned, uh, Father Casey has been removed. Uh, from public ministry and barred from representing himself as a priest or conducting any sort of church ministry while his case remains under canonical review in Rome. I just wish that they were, you know, this strict and that there were such consequences when they find out that a priest has been molesting children. Right. Well, also 45 days in jail, kind of worth it. (laughs) If the sex was was good. And there are so many gay pornos that take place with like the priest and like, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Mm -hmm. But this really happened. It's real. It's real. Feel it. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, the Pope has compared homophobia with the Nazis and says that persecution of gay people represents a culture of waste and hate. Pope Francis, I got to say... Woke AF, He's Mama. He's the, definitely the most woke pope. For sure. He's woke.
0: He's listening woke. to our new show called Woke AF. <laughs> he had Francis, Network. if
1: you're listening, give us a call. Um, during a speech at an international conference on criminal law, he compared persecution and hatred of homosexuals to Nazism. He said it's not coincidental that at times there is a resurgence of symbols typical of Nazism, as we have seen in this country with Donald Trump supporters. He says, I must confess to you that when I hear a speech by some now this is a direct jab at Trump. He says, I must confess to you that when I hear a speech by someone responsible for order or for a government, I think of speeches by Hitler in 1934 and 1936. With the perse- this is Pope talking. With the persecution of Jews, gypsies, and people with homosexual tendencies, today these actions are typical and represent par excellence, a culture of waste and hate. That is what was done in those days, and it's happening again.
3: Speak the truth. That's fierce.
1: The Pope also met with Jane Ozan or Ozani. She's the founder and director of a group called Accepting Evangelicals which supports Christians in, quote, faithful, loving, same-sex relationships. She met with him at the Vatican to speak to him about the dangers of conversion therapy. Ozani told Reuters, the Pope seemed to understand what conversion therapy was. Uh, I thought he was extremely warm. He was pastoral. He seemed concerned. I felt embraced. She said Pope Francis took her hands in, in his and said, please pray for me as I pray for you. And then he fucked her. No, I'm just kidding. It oh didn't happen. Yes. Stop. It did not happen. But, you know...
0: If it did, the whole world would be angry at the Pope.
1: Yeah, exactly. Listen, the Catholic Church has all kinds of problems, just like the Mormon Church and all these other anti-gay churches. But Pope Francis is no Pope Benedict. Mm. There's actually a movie coming out. Because, you know, Pope Benedict is you know, still alive. Yeah. And it's one of the rare instances ever where the old pope is still alive and kicking while the new pope is is in power. And um, the movie, I don't know if it's based on reality, but it has the two of them meeting regularly and, and arguing and fighting with each other because Benedict was such a right-wing conservative homophobic asshole, and Francis is like a real radical.
3: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: So radical. 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 So give it up for Francis. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the election and the fact that so many LGBTQ candidates won their races, which is amazing. But here's something shocking and upsetting. One in every five LGBTQ adults is not registered to vote. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Here's what they're saying. If every LGBTQ adult in 2016 who was eligible to vote had done so, Hillary would have won. We um, could have made that difference, just that one-fifth of LGBT—because remember, Trump beat Hillary in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin by a couple thousand votes. Yeah. And that, that's what that was. This was a poll of uh, 2,200 people, and it measured LGBTQ voters' demographic characteristics and political attitudes. Um, let's see. Half of LGBTQ adults registered to vote next November said they were Democrats. 22% said they were independents, and 15% are Republicans. <sighs> How is any gay person in 2019 a Republican? I don't get it. I don't either. You're, they're not, you're, listen, if you're a Republican and you're hearing my voice right now, turn off fucking Fox News. Yeah. That is not a uh, news channel. That is not reporting accurate information. Read the New York Times.
3: Wake up, sweetie.
1: Watch any of the three nightly news broadcasts. Get it together, My mother girl. tells
0: me all the time, I'm afraid that this, this happens. I'm like, where'd you hear this from? All the news? Did you hear from Fox? Yes. That's not the news. Your
1: mother is a black woman who watches Fox News?
0: Yes. Why? I don't know. I wish I had answers. I, I
1: don't, don't get it. I don't get it. Well, I'm telling you, register to vote. People. Register is, like, to vote. 2020. Now.
3: This is this is our opportunity to take back the White House.
1: This is our this is our last chance. It is because let me tell you something. LGBTQ protections and rights have already been rolled back by this administration. If they win again, we're done. Yeah. Gay marriage overturned. Absolutely. I guarantee you. Especially now with the new. Um, with the Supreme Court. Yeah. Supreme Court is squarely against us. Right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 200 years old. Oh, my and, God. And often sick with various things. Yeah. If, if Trump can, or whoever the nominee is, because it may not be Trump, they may dump him, but whoever the Republican nominee is, if he wins, he gets another Supreme Court justice. Then it becomes, instead of a five to four, a six to three conservative majority. Yeah. Conservatives are not your friend. If you are LGBTQ or black or a woman or disabled or not Christian or not rich. So if you're
0: anything besides a white straight man. Wealthy. Wealthy white straight man. Christian. Conservatives are not for you. Just put it in basic terms.
1: Basic. Hey, JB. Tell me when when we have about 20 minutes left because I don't know where we are. Sure. we had to restart the show. Yeah,
0: no problem. I got you.
1: <laughs> because of technical difficulties. It's my fault. I forgot to press the record button. <laughs> Where are we in the show, uh, basically? Are we like 22 minutes in? About, yeah, almost. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked about this story a few times. Uh, you know this gay radio host, Seth Dunlap, who's accused of tweeting, you're a fag, at himself? Do you remember this story? No, I don't. So Dunlap is a radio host down in New Orleans where we'll be talking to our guest in just a few minutes. Mm. Um, And he accused the radio station that he worked for of being homophobic because the radio station's Twitter account called him a fag. But then there was a twist, and it turned out that he himself had logged in and tweeted it at himself. (laughs) This has been going on for some time. So there were two new developments over the past few weeks that I wanted to uh, – of which I wanted to appraise you. Mm. How's that for good grammar?
3: It's, it's good. It's real good.
1: The first is a judge in New Orleans has, has denied the New Orleans Police Department an arrest warrant. They wanted to arrest him um, essentially for extortion, for, for attempted extortion because after the homophobic, homophobic tweet came out – he sued the radio station for discrimination. The Times-Picayune reports that the evidence presented by the detectives were not enough to convince the judge that it warranted an arrest for extortion. Uh, the judge said, you know, listen, I'm, I'm open to a later charge of this, but but not yet. There's not enough evidence yet. In October, police had obtained a search warrant for Dunlap's phone records, after news emerged that uh, Dunlap sent the homophobic tweet himself in an, in an attempt to extort $1.8 million from the station. 16 minutes to the guest? Okay. You can just tell me, JB. We, we, can, we can lower the fourth wall. Yeah. Break the fourth wall, as yeah. they say. Well, now, the gay radio host lawyer is no longer representing him, oh. uh, which is never a good sign. No, no. Dunlap was being represented by civil attorney Megan Kiefer, but he has since hired a new criminal lawyer, federal prosecute former federal prosecutor Billy Gibbons, who specializes in white-collar crimes. Uh, let's see. When exam uh, the investigators looked at at Seth Dunlap's work-issued laptop and they discovered that he had downloaded his own Twitter account's logs onto the computer. When examining those logs, the firm found more evidence to suggest that Dunlap had sent the tweet. Uh, he had accessed Twitter from the same IP address. He also conducted numerous internet searches that appeared to be geared toward finding out more about what information Twitter stores on IP addresses. One search that did not explicitly involve the topic but caught detectives' eyes was quote finding out who hacked your Twitter." Oh. Dunlap has maintained his innocence throughout the whole fiasco, telling reporters this really hurts me to my core. My name, my reputation are being tarnished, and it's devastating. We should get him on the show.
3: That <laughs> he doesn't have much going on at the moment.
1: I mean, he could plead his case. Meanwhile, at a zoo in the Netherlands, there was a, a serious theft. A gay penguin couple stole an egg. From a heterosexual penguin couple. (laughs) Yes. Because they knew there would be better pairs than the straight people. That's right. Work. And have taken turns keeping it warm. (sighs) Apparently, homosexuality is fairly common in penguins. Um, But what makes this couple remarkable is that they got a hold of this egg. They stole it during an unguarded moment while the heterosexual, uh, but the heterosexual penguins were fine because they went on to produce another egg. Uh, Breeding season (laughs) is currently in full swing. Sure is. And uh, they they hope, the zoo hopes that the gay couple's egg will hatch, but they're not yet certain if it's been properly fertilized. Unlike Ryan, who's been fertilized many times. Many, many, many times. There are several instances of same-sex pairs adopting eggs at zoos, but typically they are provided by the zookeepers, not stolen. Um, (laughs) These two male penguins... Oh, this was a different story. In August, two male king penguins at the Berlin Zoo reportedly adopted an egg after attempting to nest with several different objects, (laughs) including a wet rock and a slimy fish. They kept trying to to sit on these things. Wet rock and a slimy fish. After those items predictably predictably (laughs) failed to hatch, zookeepers provided the pair with a donor egg from a 22-year-old female penguin. Uh... At a zoo in New Zealand, a lesbian penguin couple called Thelma and Louise were given an egg after previously fostering a chick that the bird's mother had struggled to take care of. So this is not uncommon in the penguin world.
0: Can I just say penguins are my favorite animals? Really? I love penguins. I think they're cute and adorable and I feel like them because I feel like a bird who can't fly but who swims greatly in water.
1: Was it you that it's I... It's w- interesting.
3: Were we talking about Mr. Popper's penguins?
2: No.
1: Oh
3: my God! There is this. There's this book called Mr. Popper's Penguins that and they turned and they turned into a movie. But I never like as a child, Mr. Popper's Mr. Popper never. Yeah, we never got the joke. Well, well now it's like now I feel like that that'll be my Halloween costume next year.
1: I feel Mr. like Popper's and his penguins. Yeah, like that company that came out with pumpkin spice poppers should come out with like Mr. Popper's Penguins. Yeah. As, as like a special holiday yeah. edition of their poppers, Christmas edition. By the way, nobody sent us those. <laughs> thanks, thanks, listeners. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, thanks. asshole. I should, I you guys the best. suck.
3: No, we really do love you, but we would have loved you more. You send, us <laughs> send, send us
1: something. <laughs> oh, the gifts that come in for Derek and Romaine. I mean, it's just like it's endless. Yeah, and then and I get it, but like we're here too. But
3: also, like we're Ten here minutes. too.
1: Ten minutes till the guest interview Correct. is what you're telling me. Okay. Uh, so, just to update the listeners on what's going on, we started the show. We did about ten minutes of show, and then JB realized that he had fucked up,
3: mm-hmm. and the
1: show wasn't mm-hmm. recorded. Major key. So we had to start over again. So yes. I'm 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 always confused about what time it is and how much time is left in the <laughs> second hour. True. But today That's... I'm really flying blind. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In other news, uh, Paris is burning. Is it really? The, <laughs> yes, Paris Uh-oh. is on fire. Uh, The seminal 1990 documentary, which brought ballroom culture to the entire world, is now releasing unseen footage. In February 2020, to celebrate its uh, 30th anniversary, Criterion Films is releasing... Let's see how much of it there is. It doesn't really say how How much. Oh, an hour. It's in the headline. They're releasing an hour of unseen footage. Now, normally... Documentaries have done this before. Grey Gardens mm-hmm. um, came out with uh, like there was a second Grey Gardens that the Mazels put out about ten or fifteen years ago. It was fine, but but typically if you're making a documentary, you put all your best stuff in the documentary. Right, the stuff that you leave out is usually kind of boring or or just doesn't really add much to it. So I don't have the highest hopes, but if you're a, a, a huge aficionado of Paris is Burning, if you're really interested in drag culture and particularly ballroom culture, then I think you're going to want to, want, want to see this.
3: I've seen people on the internet make shady comments like, can't wait to um, watch uh, RuPaul um, appropriate all this new material on his television show or whatever.
1: Well, it's true because if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, almost everything that RuPaul says and does is a line from Paris is Burning.
3: Yeah, which, which he is, you know. Admitted. He came out
1: of ball culture too, though. Yeah,
3: yeah. And uh, that's, that is what the show, the format of the show is sort of based around is either like, is the, is the ball scene.
1: When was the first time you saw the movie?
3: Um, I, when I was, it was kind of late, I guess I, I was probably 21, 22.
1: Did you love it?
3: I loved it. Oh, you want to talk about reading?
1: <laughs> the hour of never before seen footage and audio commentary includes a conversation between Livingston, filmmaker Tom, uh, Jenny Livingston, the director, filmmaker Thomas Allen Harris, and ball community leaders Saul Pandavas and Freddie Pandavas. The latter two were featured in the original film. I loved Freddie. Freddie was my favorite person in the yeah. movie. He's the one that says, like, You want to know about mopping? Mopping is when you. You go to a store and ye- mopping is stealing. <laughs> Do you remember that fire? Yeah. <laughs> he was so adorable. He's the one that did the sewing yeah. for Avis, Avis Pandavas. I love him. Anyway, I will be watching. Yes. Absolutely. And that brings us to our RuPaul's Drag Race update for this week. Hit yes, it, JB. stay. All right, hit it
2: again. Oh.
1: Well, uh, Shantae, you stay. That's
2: very good.
3: RuPaul uh, has a new Netflix show coming out. Yes! AJ and the Queen. Um, What's it called? AJ and the Queen, um, which is about um, this drag queen that is trying to open up a drag bar and goes across the country with a little boy named AJ, and uh, they explore what it means to be gay and all sorts of other things. And RuPaul wears red wigs.
1: And it's a dramatic series, right? It's yeah. not a documentary or, or, no, or no, anything like that. Series. RuPaul is, play, is acting. Can I
3: say something? She's someone, acting. Someone, um, I heard this on Race Chaser. Um, someone that Willem knows uh, told, told him that um, RuPaul wanted to, wanted to sit down. RuPaul wanted to do a show where she could sit. And the, the show takes place mostly in a car. So RuPaul <laughs> is the laziest,
1: <laughs>
3: most successful drag I'd like queen. i like a part
1: where I can sit. I mean, listen, I, I Let's listen. identify with that kind of yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is, I believe, RuPaul's first dramatic role. Yeah. She's played bit parts in other movies. She was in the Brady Bunch movie as a guidance counselor. And she was in To Wong Fu. She's made a lot playing of- Playing Rachel Tensions. Right. Yes, Which is the funniest drag so name ever.
3: Right. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's true. I, I'd say in the last five to 10 years, RuPaul has been popping up on lots of series- Broad City, um, uh, Two two Broke Girls, Mm -hmm. whatever that show is. Um, But this is like the first, uh, since Drag Race, um, her first scripted show that she is the star vehicle for.
1: I wonder how it's going to be.
3: I can't wait to see how this turns out.
1: (laughs) I mean, it could be terrible.
3: Well, I would say um, it, it could be. It might be. But she looks amazing in red hair. Who
1: knew? Who, I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea. So tell us the name of it one last time. AJ
3: and the Queen. And, and when does it come uh, to Netflix? 2020. Um, January 10th, All 2020. Right. Add that to your uh, to-do list. But really, there's so, RuPaul is just like a nonstop workhorse. Like, yeah. I mean, there has to be five different shows that she's working on now.
1: Speaking of which, this is sort of off topic. But last night, mm-hmm. Scott Hernandez and I went to see a play, and he was showing me a cameo video that Bethany Frankel had made for his sister.
2: His oh sister is a
1: pub- is going to be published. Her book got a publisher. And oh, so awesome. her sister's friend reached out to Bethany on cameo. And for $275, you can have Bethany Frankel make you a cameo video.
3: $275.
1: It's a lot. And she can, I mean, she has a high quote sure. and she can get it, but here's what I don't understand. Bethany Frankel has $50 million. Why would she want to waste her time Making personalized video greetings for people yeah. for two hundred seventy five dollars is is a penny to her. Right? I don't get it. I don't it. get it.
3: Well, it's like, why would she still do? I mean, she's not doing um, the show anymore,
1: uh, Rahasas, right? She's I not. don't know about that. Is she coming
3: back? Didn't you, didn't she leave the show? Again? She's always
1: leaving and coming come, back. I don't think back. she can bear to to not have cameras on her at all yeah. times. Did she say? Go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> no, she's sitting. I have to show you the video. She's sitting like on a terrace like of a, like a beach house. Yes. And she's wearing something that's so low cut that it basically looks like she's naked. You can't see any clothing. You just see the tops of her tits. Mm-hmm. She looks really old and haggard. And oh, she's dear. just like, hey, Suzanne, I'm so proud of you. And uh, congratulations. And she's just like bored. And, and I'm thinking, this is embarrassing for you. To be as wealthy as you are. Hey, listen. And may, I wouldn't do cameos. But like, I, unless I desperately needed the money. I, I just think they're so cheesy. If you find yourself with an extra
3: $275, get Bethany Frankel to record a cameo for me and have her say, go to sleep. Go to sleep.
1: <laughs> she probably gets asked that all That's the time. That's all I want.
3: That's all I want. That's it. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I mean, I just, I was just uh, thinking about this the other day because Mark McGrath uh, was on Twitter Mm -hmm. with some kind of cameo video that he had made and it went viral. Like, like Mark McGrath was like trending. Mark McGrath, again, major rock star was in, um, what's that band? Uh, Sugar song? Ray, oh, it was no. the lead singer of Sugar Ray. I mean, that band was huge back when people was. still bought music. No, but they but they sold millions of albums. They yeah. toured for for over ten years. He was the host of Extra for several years. Like Extra, he has Extra. money in the bank, and his cameos only cost a hundred dollars. Oh damn! It's just I don't get I don't get when I see Julia Roberts making a, a perfume commercial. When is it enough money? Right. Is it their agents that it's push them into never this? never enough money. It would be never enough for me, honey. Never enough. Well, on that note, it's time for this week's LGBTQ Pride Update.
3: There are no Pride celebrations
1: happening anywhere in America, so we're just going to keep listening to this song for the next 10 minutes. Oh, that's... Sounds
3: great.
1: What the are you end. most proud of? Uh, let's this see. Week? This week, I am proud of... You know what? I'm proud of the fact that I take very good care of my dog. Oh, I'm a loving I'm proud of you for that and too. caring dog owner. Lady wants for nothing. She has a better life than most human beings. So true. She's so spoiled. <laughs> And it's a lot of work. You know, sometimes I get home at the end of, of the uh, f- an evening out, let's say, and I'm exhausted, and it's freezing cold outside, and I just want to go to bed. But, of course, I have to walk her, and I always do. You're a good daddy. It's like having a child. Yeah.
3: <laughs> she is a child. What are you most proud of this week, Ryan? You know what? As we come closer to the end of the year, and I know we'll, we'll have one more show before the end of the year. Yes. We have one more show. But um, I'm proud to uh, have... Have gone this whole year without a cigarette. I've been smoking for almost a
1: year. That is where, where's the applause? That absolutely deserves
3: applause. And you remember the days before I quit. Ryan was really like a heavy smoker. Oh, hold on. I would smoke like a pack Ryan was and a, half. a heavy
1: smoker at one point. Yeah.
3: For like a year and a half. It
1: all started when you went to Fire Island oh, for yeah. that, that job where you worked at a bed and breakfast and had to like wash sheets. Yeah. You certain. were smoking so much and you also got so fucking skinny. Yeah, but well, not in a good way. I got
3: skinny, but then I got fat.
1: Yeah, you were a mess.
3: And then, and now I'm now I'm.
1: Just, I think it's so great that you yeah, quit smoking. It
3: feels so great. And, and if anyone, and if you don't anyone, even
1: vape. No, except for weed. For weed. But
3: uh, if anyone out there is trying to quit or wants to quit, really, once you're on the other side of it, you're gonna feel like you like wh- you're going to feel like a, a dummy for even putting those things in Listen, your mouth.
1: I was never a heavy smoker, but I smoked yeah. for years like I would I would smoke a pack of cigarettes every couple weeks. Yeah, we even that seems crazy to me now. Like yeah. why would I do- so why would I like
0: stupid.
3: do
1: something that I know causes cancer? Yeah. Anyway, on that happy note, our guest today is a Lambda Literary Award finalist who has written dozens of novels and short story collections. He is the author of the wildly popular Scotty Bradley adventures which a gay New Orleans bon vivant who solves murder mysteries in his spare time. His latest of these is called Royal Street Revian. So joining us now on the phone all the way from New Orleans, please give a warm ass welcome to author Greg Herron. Greg, welcome. Thank you. I'm sorry we're a little delayed. We had to restart taping uh, and there was no way for me to contact you while we were on the air. But uh, But thank you for hanging in there. No worries, Greg. The hero of your stories, Scotty Bradley, is a wealthy former stripper turned fitness trainer turned private detective who's part of a throuple with two incredibly <laughs> hot other guys. So, how many of these things are also true about you?
2: Oh, uh, mm, I'd rather not say. I'm only in, I only have one voice. I only have one partner.
1: Okay, so no throuple. And-
2: and I don't solve mur- murder mysteries but I did use to be a personal trainer and kind of was a stripper for a little while
1: listen no shame in that if someone's No oh, none
2: at all it was a lot of fun
1: if someone's willing to pay you to take your clothes off why not
2: <laughs> exactly
1: but is the character, when you're writing him, I mean, you've written so many Scotty Bradley books now. Do you, Are you writing as if you were Scotty Bradley? Do you put yourself in the character? Or is he completely someone who's outside of your experiences?
2: Uh, well, whenever, whenever you write, at least for me, um, I always have to put myself into the head of the person I'm writing about. Uh, it doesn't seem... I don't know, I just can't. I can't do it any other way, really. So when I'm kind of channeling the character when I'm writing him, I put myself into that mindset. He's a lot more fun to write than other people. That's for sure. He's a, his mind is a fun place to go because he's, he's had such a great attitude about everything. I wish I wish I was more like that.
1: Yeah, he definitely is a lot of fun as a character. A- explain to those of us who are not from New Orleans what a Revion is.
2: Revion is an uh, old Creole tradition from the early days. You were supposed to fast before midnight mass on Christmas Eve. So after Christmas, at, so after you went to midnight mass at whatever cathedral or church you went to, you would come home and break the fast, and that was a Revion meal. So it was a, it was a full dinner that you would eat at like one or one thirty in the morning. It doesn't. That tradition doesn't really hold anymore. They just it's a uh, particular kind of certain kinds of foods that we're always served. And so now you can get it Revion dinner at any time before Christmas, between like seven and 11 at any, most of the restaurants in the French quarter. It's a thing now. But, so what's
1: a typical, uh like what kind of food comes with a Revion?
2: Uh Just, you know, typical Creole food, um, ham, beans, red beans, rice, Shrimp, crawfish, that say, crawfish, that sort of thing. I mean, I guess it's really not that different than a normal Creole meal, I suppose, but it was it came up with a name for it. New Orleans is like that. We kind of name things and create something new out of something that you do anyway.
1: Yeah, well, New Orleans is very much a character in this book. Uh, as well as all of your books. And you're actually the second gay New Orleans writer that we've had on this podcast. What is it about that city that makes it such rich fodder for fiction?
2: New Orleans is a very different place. It's not like anywhere else in the country. It's called, we call it the the northernmost city in the Caribbean because it's more of a Caribbean city than it is an American city because we have the French and the Spanish background, and the city looks more Caribbean, especially the French Quarter, the style of architecture and everything here is very Caribbean-flavored in the way the colors of the houses and so forth. It's very different, and it's very stimulating, and pretty much anything goes here. Nobody really looks at you funny here. If you do something crazy or you say something crazy or you act crazy, every, it just kind of rolls off everyone. You just kind of accept it. Like, oh, that's another weirdo. But I always say that I moved to New Orleans because I'm not the crazy one here. I'm more normal and more considered normal here than I would be anywhere else.
1: When did you move there?
2: I moved to New Orleans in 1996 in August. Yes. So the when, perfect you, month
1: when you were a child?
2: yeah basically, yeah
1: <laughs> no how Child old in my thirties How old you were in your thirties? So you were what they call a parvenu
2: I was a parvenu. I still am a parvenu. Um, it takes a really, really long time to get there's a there's two different kinds of New Orleanians. there's the, the Native people who are born and raised here, and then there's locals who weren't born here and have moved here,
1: and those are called parvenus.
2: Parvenus. Yes, I did not become considered a local until after Hurricane Katrina. I'd been. That was nine years after I'd moved here. I was still considered not from here.
1: You mentioned Katrina a lot in the book, and I imagine that for people who live in New Orleans, it's it's you know everything is defined by before Katrina and after Katrina, kind of the way that New Yorkers define uh, pre and post nine eleven.
2: Yes, yeah, it's very much like that here. It, before, before Katrina, the landmark thing was Betsy, which was in 1966 or 67. I'm not sure which. That was the last time a hurricane hit the city and it flooded like that. And so when we first, when I first moved here, people would still, older people would still refer to before Betsy and after Betsy. And Katrina's kind of become the same way. Although we've had a large influx of new parvenus who did not experience Katrina, weren't here for it or the aftermath. So there's that weird differentiation between if you were here before and after, or if you came here after all of us who were here beforehand are now considered locals because we went through the city's big trauma, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how long it's going to take the new ones just to no longer be considered parvenus. But
1: the city's really made a remarkable comeback since Katrina, has it not?
2: It really has. Um, it's really surprising. It's one of the things I had tried to address in the book. You get very caught up in life here. You get caught up in your own life, and you don't. Re- then one day you look around and you realize the whole city's changed in the blink of an eye. And some. Some of the some of the improvements and changes to the city have been for the better, but at the same time, we've lost some of what we had before, sure. and I'm not really sure how to feel about that. I'm, I, I see the good and the bad in the changes. Uh, I'm actually writing uh, something that's set in 1995 in New Orleans because I kind of wanted to go back and capture what the city was like beforehand again. It, I wrote five novels about New Orleans before Katrina hit. And so I'm trying to remember what it was like when I first came here, when I first started coming here on a regular basis, and how there was this really kind of cool, decay, decaying, funky feel to the city, which we kind of don't really have as much of anymore. Right. It's
1: like once you rebuild, then nothing's really... Historic anymore because everything's new.
2: Well, it's the French Quarter and my part of the city weren't affected. Were, I mean, we were affected, but we weren't, we didn't have to rebuild. Right. The French Quarter wasn't destroyed. Uptown wasn't destroyed. The Garden District wasn't destroyed. So a lot of that still is exactly as it was. I mean, businesses have come and gone. Restaurants have opened and closed, that sort of thing. But some of the other neighborhoods, like the Lower Ninth, they tried to recapture the feel of what it was like before with new buildings or trying to rebuild old homes that were had to be rebuilt. They tried to build them in the, similarly, the same style of architecture right. as they were before, to try to keep, maintain the feel of the city. I don't know how successful that was. There was a house that was recently torn down in the Garden District. I don't know why. I drive past it all the time. And that's very unusual for an old historic building to be completely torn torn down. But it must have had like, severe termite damage or something. Yeah. But they rebuilt the house exactly the way it looked before. Well, but great. you can tell. You can tell it's new. Right. Looking at it, you can just tell that it's not, it hasn't been standing there for 160 years.
1: Let's talk uh, so about, of, sorry, I just want to, I want to move back to your book because we we've okay. got limited time here. Scotty Bradley, the character is very much a fan of a fictional reality TV show called the Grand Doms of New Orleans, which figures prominently into the plot. I I'm assuming you yourself are a fan of the real housewives series.
2: I am. And I'm not, um, I go back and forth with it sometimes. I get, with any with any television series, there's a whole, you get caught up in it and then you get away from it for a little while. Like right now, I watch New York and Beverly Hills, Atlanta, on and off. I've given up on New Jersey. Yeah, I guess I'm a fan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you actually begin the book with three quotations and one of them is from Countess Luanda Lesseps. It's, don't be all, like, uncool. <laughs>
2: Comic. That's like the one of the greatest moments of Real Housewives history. <laughs>
1: Why haven't they had a Real Housewives New Orleans? They absolutely should.
2: You know, I don't know. Um, I've had a lot of fun. My partner and I used to have a lot of fun casting it, figuring out who would be fun to see on this show and who would be fun Who would actually do it? Right. Most of the people that we thought would be really fun would never do it in a million years, but they do have, there is a reality show. There is a reality show here now called one of the Southern charms. We didn't get a real housewives. We got Southern charm New Orleans. Mm, Not as good. And, and it's really, really, really funny because I watched the, the first episode and I was like, well, reality shows. New Orleans and reality shows generally haven't had a lot of success, but The Real World did two seasons here, and the second season was so inconsequential that people even forgot that it was even... Yeah, I,
1: I didn't know about the second one. The first one was the one with the gay guy.
2: Yes, that yes little... the gay guy who was dating the soldier. That was cutie working. pie. And he was working as a bartender in one of the gay bars in the quarter, so they used to... Oz, actually, and they used to always put up, have to put up signs whenever they were filming, so that you going inside with consent to be filmed and be aired on television. It was really funny because real- the real when the first season of the real world filmed here the house that they lived in, I knew the person who owned the house, oh. and they it was only like five or six blocks from where I lived, so we would see them filming. Danny, that was the the gay guy. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it was quite interesting because, you know, you just take, you know, I don't ever think about things, but I always, you know, the premise of the real world was that they were being filmed 24 7. Right. They weren't.
1: (laughs) No, they never are. I mean, you, you, crews can only work so much and people have to go to sleep and, and they have on days and off days. Um, but reality TV seems to be something that you're very interested in, and, and as I said, it's it's a major um, uh, part of the plot in this book.
2: Well, it is. It's it's interesting to me in that it's we take for granted. Like I said, with the, when they were filming the real world here, you would see them walking around with camera crews not filming, like heading someplace to, be, to actually go film. And at that time, in my naivete. 'Cause I don't you don't think about these things. It's like, well, I thought they were supposed to be filmed all the time when they were awake. Right. They're not doing this. So clearly this is not reality. It's okay, we're gonna go film here and this is what you're going to do here and and that kind of takes away from the fantasy aspect of the reality of it. Yeah. And that's what, you know, obviously there are times like when someone shows up at someone's house unexpectedly, but there's a camera crew inside the house already. <laughs> Obviously that's not, that's a setup. Right. But I wanted to get into that a little bit because with the book, because I was, I'm very, I'm very interested in the dichotomy and the difference between real, what perceived reality and actual reality. Mm-hmm. Right. These people aren't how they appear on television. They're really playing a part.
1: Well, you, and, ha- you have a character named Eric Brewer, who is clearly based on Andy Cohen. He's the (laughs) executive producer of the Grand Dame series. And here's how you describe him on page 34. You say, Eric Brewer was good-looking, if you liked that type. As his creations took off in popularity, he wound up with his own talk show that aired every night after episodes of the shows. At first, his guests were just cast members of the various franchises. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead. Personally, I didn't see The Appeal. I thought he was annoying and never watched his show. He clearly believed he was clever and witty and funny. His short brown hair was going gray, but rather than embracing being a silver fox, he acted like he was still a wide-eyed 20-year-old twink. The gossip sites often ran photos of him with much younger men. He had a definite type, muscular young guys with dark tans, big white teeth, and no body hair that liked to wear skimpy bikinis. He always acted on the show like he really wanted a partner, but I suppose that was an act. So you don't seem to think terribly highly of Andy Cohen.
2: I actually don't really think about Andy Cohen a lot.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. You made, him, you made him an important character in your book.
2: Well, it was kind of... Um, you can't really do you can't really do a takeoff on those shows without including him or a character like him. I don't know Andy Cohen. I read, I read his, his book when it first came out, his first book. Yeah. Um, can't stop talking or most talkative or most likely to talk or whatever it was called. I don't remember, but he doesn't bother me. I mean, it was important to me to, because the, the character was important to the story. And so he had to be an awful person. And it's just, it was just easier to make him an awful person. It's easy to see, I don't know, Andy Cohen, I don't know what he's like. All I know is what I see on television and what I read read in the papers and what he said in his book. I don't know anything about him. Well, He's probably a lovely person.
1: I don't think he is. Although he does offer you Coke, according to (laughs) Kathy Griffin.
2: So. Oh, well, yeah, there's that. I'd forgotten about that.
1: Greg, but... I'm, ha- I'm halfway through the book. It's a lot of fun. The body count is quite high. I thought there would be <laughs> a murder, but there are already several murders. And, and uh, you know, as I said, I'm only halfway through. So I do recommend, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Royal Street Revian and all of the other Scotty Bradley mysteries. But uh, in the time remaining, we're going to play Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> Okay. Where's the best place in New Orleans to have public sex?
2: Um, Upstairs at uh, Phoenix.
1: Yes, you had an answer right away. Who's your favorite mystery writer?
2: Uh, Laura Lippmann.
1: Favorite book of of hers?
2: The Lady in the Lake is the new one.
1: Who is the best Real Housewives bitch of all time?
2: Bitch, Lisa Vanderpump.
1: Oh, good answer. Yeah. Who would you say, Rye? Uh,
2: Nini, Nini leaks? Oh, Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah I don't, She's awful. Awful.
1: <laughs> I think actually, Bethany's the big, the best bitch of all time. Oh
3: well, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Bethany. Yeah. Bethany's yeah. got a
1: vicious Definitely tongue, Bethany.
3: but Nini is, is so funny in the way that she like she's unapologetically a bitch.
2: Have yeah, you? Yeah, Nini. Bethany to me the thing that kills me about Bethany is like every every joke she makes and every insult is like from the 1990s
3: yeah and she's got like she's got that kind of like quick uh quippy kind of
1: and finally Greg if your if your penis were a book which
2: book would it be um The Grapes of (laughs) Wrath
1: Royal Street Revian is available wherever one buys books anything else you want to plug Greg
2: um nope I can't think of anything. Thank you so much for
1: being on the show. <laughs> read That's the great. book. It's a fun holiday read. Ryan and JB, plug yourselves. At Ryan Frosting. At Energy 12 on Instagram. Thank you, Greg Heron. Thank you, Ryan and JB. The Ass will be back next week with our special live holiday episode. Marty Thomas will be here singing yes. Christmas songs with an accompanist. Have a great week, bitches. To Bye. You.